재미와 지식의 오디오 라이프 팝빵. What time is it? What time is it? What time is it? Do you know what time it is? Prime time. It's prime time. 프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프라이프
than uh, Truman versus Dewey. Uh, the uh, polling uh, capabilities were much more primitive than we thought we had a uh, clearer picture uh, than was possible in those days. Even more importantly, uh, Truman was an incumbent president who won re-election. Uh, Trump's election is the success of an insurgent candidate that, is, that challenged the establishment of both parties. Uh, the closest thing to it in American history is really uh, the uh, success of Andrew Jackson mm-hmm. uh, in the early 19th century. Uh, but even then, uh, you had a much more establishment figure than Donald Trump is. I remember, uh, I believe, uh, one of uh, Donald Trump's supporters, uh, former New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani, uh, mentioning uh, the comparison to Andrew Jackson. And then a lot of uh, his critics uh, right away said, yes, the uh, the president who committed genocide against the Native American population. Uh, in your view, and I know that a lot of the... Uh the analysis uh, going into this election was uh, the the energized uh, voting uh, demographic of the uh, the white working class, the uh, the non college educated um, uh, blue collar uh, segment of the population. It, there was still a bit of an underestimation as to how passionate they were in going to the polls, right? Absolutely. Uh, The fact that the uh, Trump campaign did not have a get-out-the-vote ground game and relied on the Republican National Committee to do it, and the fact that Democrats had been much more successful in the ground game in recent elections uh, led to the belief that it just wasn't possible to heighten that uh, white working-class turnout enough to uh, give Trump victory. And it turns out uh, that the uh, powerful political passions uh, driving those voters were more important than the get-out-the-vote techniques. People are saying, and rightly so, that this is a complete repudiation of the Democratic Party, of perhaps uh, what they're calling Clintonism, of this sort of uh, neoliberal orthodoxy uh, of how to run uh, an American government. But is this not also a repudiation of the the Goldwater uh, classic Reagan uh, conservative movement um, ethos that we've also been witness to over the past few generations and this is sort of a very new alignment and something almost unprecedented in u.s political history no uh yes it is in a repudiation in important respects if you think of the reagan coalition as uh consisting of uh, pro-business economic conservatives that support free trade and globalization if you think of uh the reagan coalition as uh, including military conservatives that want a uh, strongly uh, interventionist global posture by the United States. Uh, those parts of the Reagan coalition have been significantly repudiated um, uh, against free trade, against economic globalization, uh, against uh, American uh, military ventures abroad, even while asserting strong national security powers. But what Reagan uh, added to the Goldwater Coalition or expanded was religious conservatives and racial conservatives that were uh, concerned about the rise of a multicultural America. And uh, Trump has appealed very strongly to those groups. And so uh, that part of the uh, Reagan Coalition, uh, the uh, more 
um, culturally oriented uh, on religious and racial matters, uh, that part of the coalition uh, has triumphed with the Reagan's with with Trump's election. Where does that leave the electorate now? Because again, uh, even post twenty twelve, uh, with the RNC, uh, with their Postmortem after Romney was defeated by Obama for his second term, uh, this idea that there needs to be more outreach. Uh, the Republican Party is doomed to be a minority party because of the demographic changes, uh, the white population growing, uh, shrinking uh, over the years. But this seems to have kind of flipped that model on its head where there really now has uh, it's been quite clearly proven that there is a path to victory if you can appeal to those sensibilities to those uh to those uh i guess racial identity uh type of politics and where does that leave the other half of the country because by all most accounts it does look like hillary clinton will win the popular vote uh, well you've got it exactly right and it raises the question of whether uh, given the demographic trends, but given this tremendous electoral uh, success uh, in which uh, Republicans will now control all three branches of the national government, and they already control a uh, great majority of state legislative houses and governorships, uh, there may be an effort to reshape America's demographic future by both uh, immigration restrictions, um, uh, possibly deportations, and also uh, efforts to restructure uh, voting rights and voting systems uh, in ways that uh, privilege uh, the white portion of the electorate. Uh, unfortunately, those are all features of our uh, history in the past. We've done those things before. Uh, there will be a push to do those things again precisely because the demographic trends otherwise move away uh, from the uh, coalition that just won so big last night. Going forward, uh, ahead of this uh, inauguration next year on January 20th, what does what do you hope, at least, uh, the president-elect Donald Trump does right now? He has a fractured Republican coalition. Most of the establishment, the so-called elites, did not support him. Uh, you have a Democratic Party right now in disarray. Uh, what does he have to do, you think, uh, to be able to set the stage for him governing effectively over the next four years? Uh, well, he has to uh, rise above the uh, ill-tempered man that we so often saw in the campaign and recognize that uh, he has this stunning victory and has um, uh, shown all of his critics that they underestimated him. And now uh, he has to show uh, that we're still underestimating him, that he can be more uh, statesmanlike than uh, anyone anticipated, and uh, that he can uh, genuinely uh, seek to build coalitions to uh, solve common problems as opposed to uh, going after his enemies. Uh, he sounded the right notes uh, in his acceptance speech, um, I mean his uh, victory speech last night. Uh, whether he will persist in that um, uh, very much uh, remains to be seen. Uh, it is the most critical period in American politics in my lifetime. Indeed. We're going to leave it there. Uh, Professor Smith, thank you so much for joining us and hope you uh, hope we can have you again soon. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Okay, Professor Wong, I 
probably not too much in disagreement with what uh, Professor Smith just said right now. Yep. Um, I mean, I guess what I might add is that it's troubling. You know, he made one prediction, right? So in the sense that the, the, the system that has disadvantaged non-white votes in the past... Uh, you know, U.S. history is littered with examples that try to restrict you know, black voting rights and so forth. We may see that see a lot of those actually coming back. And so we're talking about just subtle means like the Voting Rights Act being uh, that's right. uh, degraded, uh, polling booths, uh, these uh, polar ID laws, um, the the more stringent uh, things with past uh, convictions and what have you, systematically, right. basically mm-hmm. uh, alienating uh, people who may have had wanted the chance to vote but may simply not be able to. Absolutely. And now the Republicans control, you know, both houses of Congress. Now they get to uh, select the most conservative uh, Supreme Court justice. They also control uh, bulk of state legislatures, I think uh, 30 out of 50 or something along those lines. So, yeah, they can uh, implement a lot of changes that will make those things happen, basically. And this is, you know, uh, it always is a tough touchy subject uh, when you talk about race and this is something that uh, the Trump supporters don't want to hear. They don't want to talk about it. But really, I mean, we can talk about jobs being shipped overseas. We can talk about uh, blue collar workers. We can talk about, you know, um, immigration. We can talk about all of these little uh, issues that uh, motivate people to go to the polls. And certainly those are issues. But really, this is about white resentment that had been percolating, building up through eight years yep. of a presidency by an historic figure in U.S. history, Barack Obama, the first ever black person to become president of the United States. And then on the heels of that, you had a woman, uh, maybe not the most beloved figure, but a woman trying to make history on the, on the heels of that back-to-back. And it felt like this was just the straw that broke the camel's back. And we saw this, what one uh, commentator from CNN, Van Jones, termed the white lash. Yeah, I mean, how can you talk about this result without thinking about racism and sexism, those undertones? I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of listeners out there. Um, I mean, there are a number of uh, white male Trump supporters I've met in here in Seoul. Uh, there are a few non-white male Trump supporters, but majority of them have been uh, white male. I mean, this, uh, this is just an anecdotal uh, experience from my end, but I mean, from where I'm looking at things, how can you talk about this election result without thinking about racism and sexism? I, I guess that that would be my take. It's uh, where we talked about the uh, demographics, and uh, when we talk about the uh, the white working class, the non college college educated blue collar uh, white demographic group, they essentially have become now just like a monolithic voting block like the minorities when you think of uh, let's say if it's right or wrong the uh, monolithic hispanic voting group the monolithic black voting group to a smaller extent the monolithic asian american voting block they've become this minority voting block that comes out in vast numbers in support of that one candidate that kind of speaks to their yep. uh, baser instincts but we still have to remember, shrinking demographic or not, that is still 40% of the U.S. population. Absolutely. And that was the winning formula. And that is why, despite Hillary Clinton looking like she's going to win the election by at least a percentage point or so, which is millions of votes, 
That is why, electorally speaking, in terms of the electoral college system, that means that uh, Donald Trump, and perhaps in four years from now, it could be the case that we're seeing eight years of what you're saying, this sort of uh, alt-right, as they call it, racialist-based politics. So here are a couple of puzzles that I haven't quite found the answers for. One is that there are actually have been a number of theories about these uh, shy Trump voters. And a number of you know, pollsters try to look for these shy Talk Trump voters. Talk about the voters. Tom Bradley effect. Exactly. Bradley effect from the 80s, but these days it's known as a shy, shy Trump voters. And a number of studies have tried to find them and say, okay, they don't really exist. There have been a number of reports saying that you know, they don't exist. Well, big surprise, they do actually. And two, just I think yesterday or the day before yesterday, Gallup came out with the the fresh approval rating data for President Obama. He has the two-year high approval rating of 56%. So think about this. I mean, America approves President Obama's job by 56%, yet elects Donald Trump Mm -hmm. as the next president. I mean, maybe the Gallup poll is wrong. I mean, uh, to me, these are... Two data points that just are very inconsistent. It's human nature. Nobody wants to be considered racist. Of course Nobody not. wants to say something that is deemed racist. And that might be reflected in, in uh, respondents to, to poll questions. But at the same time, what has certainly changed in the past and almost cynically, the Republican Party has played to this similar base, uh, the, the so-called dog whistle politics. This was the first candidate uh, in a long time, maybe since George Wallace, Wallace, that really explicitly articulated those feelings and sort of mainstreamed it with the help of Breitbart and uh, the campaign chairman Steve Bannon and this so-called alt-right movement to put this into the mainstream discourse and say it's okay to talk yep. about these people in this manner. It's okay to to create those kind of uh, racial divides because we are fed up. We're tired of our country being taken away again. And again, that motto, make America great again, where for 51% of the country, perhaps, um, including blacks, Latinos, things weren't perfect, things weren't great, but we did come a long way, and maybe America was already great. All I can say is that, well, I mean, if that's how you feel, then I guess the non-white voting blocks, you know, that's not a monolithic group, right? The blacks, Hispanics, Asians, women, I guess we'll need to uh, play a different game, right? Yeah, and let's not um, brush under the rug that perhaps um, Clinton um, was not the perfect candidate. Um, Maybe people had some misgivings. And the fact of the matter was she did not build the uh, so-called Obama coalition. Certainly the uh, the uh, numbers show that uh, the vast majority of African Americans, the vast majority of Latinos uh, voted for her. But she did not bring them out in the uh, same numbers that uh, Donald Trump brought out his so-called coalition. And uh, that basically counterbalanced the two. And this is why we saw these numbers kind of well, go the way I don't know did. how much I will actually fault Hillary Clinton, I guess exactly. it turns out that the racial animus among the white rural voters turned out to be much stronger than racial animus motivating blacks and Hispanics in this uh, election. I thought Hispanic uh, animus was pretty strong, because, especially because of the uh, rhetoric that Donald Trump has engaged in. But I guess I really, and along with many other pundits, have underestimated the racial animus of uh, white rural uh, working class voters. And I think 
the race just needs to become a big issue in the politics up front rather than you know sweeping under the rug. Again, quoting uh, Van Jones, uh, he had this viral comment that everyone's been talking about, even bringing people to tears. It's just, it's a nightmare. You have people putting children to bed. They're afraid of breakfast. They're afraid. How do you explain this to your children? How do you tell them, don't be a bigot? How do you tell them, don't degrade women? How do you tell them uh, you have to work hard, you have to study, uh, you have to be knowledgeable? Uh, a lot of these things kind of went out the door. Look, Donald Trump has said that he's going to have a deportation force. There's about 11 million undocumented immigrants living in the United States working jobs. Maybe he's, he will go, go through with this. I mean, can you imagine going door to door, deporting 11 million people? I think uh, for a lot of people that... Uh is something unimaginable, but now uh, the fear is uh, perhaps it is, according to those campaign pledges, uh, a reality. Well, Professor Huang, I know we're going to talk about this, unfortunately, probably, in in more detail in future segments, but uh, that's all the time we have for now. Thank you once again, and talk to you again soon. Thank you very much.